Hello and welcome to The M Word, where we have uncensored conversations on all things marketing. We're your hosts, Jennifer Mulchandani and Heather Michaelgard. For season two, our conversations are focused on brand. Listen in for ideas you can use for your brand. Enjoy today's episode. Today's guest is Whitney Kernodal, an attorney, political strategist, local activist, and the new CEO of Arlington Independent Media, where she's been leading a fundamental shift in the organization's brand. In today's episode, Whitney shares how her upbringing prepared her for her community activism and how that relates to realigning Arlington Independent Media to serve a more inclusive audience. To hear more Whitney, you can catch her in her weekly Facebook Live show, Let's Talk Tuesday, where she discusses racial and social justice issues with local community leaders and advocates. Hi, Whitney. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate being asked. Well, we are so glad you're here, and we're going to jump right in with what does brand mean to you? Okay, so I had the opportunity to think about it a little bit, and um, what brand... And and repeat it over and over (laughs) as we had audio recording issues today. Absolutely, but I'm going to sound so impressive, right? (laughs) Or absolutely not at all, because now I'm just going to have too much confidence in it. But no, but um, what brand really means to me, whether we're talking about an individual or a family um, or an organization, is how we use our internal strengths, um, our personalities, um, the things that we really want about ourselves, um, and how we not only shine and illuminate what those are, but we also simultaneously are in understanding of how what we're shining is affecting other people or what we're illuminating about ourselves, whether it be good or bad, and how um, what we do is perceived by others. So it's not just Um, what we want to be and trying to be that, but it's really having the self-awareness of who we are and how we are perceived by others and blending those two in order to highlight the best parts of ourselves to be working on the things about ourselves that are a little bit more challenging or vulnerable or weak and making sure that we are illuminating our best selves in a way to make sure that the perceptions of us and how we are affecting people is on target with with how we want to be perceived and how we want to affect others. It's interesting because when I first asked you that about your personal brand, you had said that you don't really put much thought into it. And yet, when I first met you back in October, November, you are memorable to me. Like I remember the cover of you on Arlington Magazine and I remember the conversation we had up on the rooftop at this happy hour. And so like if anyone were to be a symbol of personal brand, I really would think it was you. So I think it's so great that you It's just by chance. Like, you didn't mean to. (laughs) No, but thank you. I do a lot of things that I don't mean to. No, that's very, very sweet, and I really appreciate that. Um, Well, but not to interrupt, but I feel like that speaks to authenticity. Absolutely. Because you're not trying. You're not... When you act, like, that's that's where inconsistencies come Mm -hmm. in. That's where, like, she was herself. (laughs) That made an impression on me. And she showed up today the same self, right? Yep. Yep. Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. Um, I tend to be I, probably memorable, not 
always liked, <laughs> definitely. And my goal as a 49-year-old woman is definitely not to be liked. So it's okay and understanding that I will actively not be liked, particularly um, since I've dedicated a lot of my uh, time as an adult, as an activist, um, and as someone who fights for the most marginalized. Um, in order to do that, you're absolutely going to um, uh, reach people in a way that they might not like, and they may not like you, and that's got to be okay. So that's part of my growing and learning into who I am right now and my authentic self. Thank you very much. Yes, I pride myself in my uh, in being authentic, um, but in reality, I don't know how to be anything else. But the comfort with yourself not being liked by everybody, was that Whitney at age 20 or is that is that life experience showing up right now for you? It's a little bit of both. I think that I was extraordinarily lucky, lucky to have a father who um, was really insightful. Um, he, my father was a lobbyist in Philadelphia um, who really uh, was able to benefit a lot from the civil rights movement in the 60s. Um, he did ROTC at Temple University. And then um, after serving two years uh, during the Vietnam era, but in Germany, he went to Columbia Law School. And so he was able to really um, create a really great career for himself um, in a comfortable living environment for his family. And so I was raised uh, with an amount of privilege that a lot of people, including some of my own family members, weren't able to be, be born into and belong to. And so I think that that helped um, growing up in a loving, nurturing environment where there are plenty of resources to go around. And so uh, abundance as opposed to scarcity has helped. But my father also sat me down as a realist when I was about 10 years old um, and had hair even bigger than my hair is now and these glasses and was a bookworm. And, you know, again, not the biggest girl in the world. And my father said to me, you know, you are a tiny black girl who will be a tiny black woman. And this world is going to think that it can eat you up and spit you out and that you do not belong at the table, that there is no space for you other than maybe serving the table and cleaning it up. And so what he said to me is, don't ever let any white person think that they're better than you are. We have white people in our family. White people is very close, intimate friends. We've been to their houses. It's clear and obvious that they are not any better than we are, right? So, but also don't let any man ever think that he's smarter than you. My father said, I go to places and I'm in workspaces with very, very smart men and some of the smartest that there are, and you are a 10-year-old little girl, and I still have not met one man who is smarter than you are. So don't ever let any man purport to be smarter because that's going to be his edge in trying to use society's, you know, push and pull um, and privilege, which was not a word then, um, to be able to keep you back and hold you back and don't ever let that happen. And so I think that that really helped me because that all made sense. I'm like, yeah, no, white people definitely don't seem better. That's not a word I would use. And and I'm looking at men, too, and that they don't seem to necessarily be, you know. So I think it helped me, um, not only coming from a man um, who was my father, um, but also just being exposed to that type of idea. Uh, not only the warning that I would be assumed to be less relevant based on my stature, based on my race, based on my gender, but to not let that worry me, to let that bother me and to use what I did have in order to be strong and courageous and present. Your dad sounds like a really smart man. He was lovely. Yes. So you also have a law degree and I want to talk to, uh, 
tell our listeners about, before we get into AIM and how you became CEO, you did some things that didn't always get a paycheck for, but set you up to be in this position. So can you talk to us about your role with PTA and how that kind of formed you and got you to where you are now? Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm really glad that you asked because um, I've always been an activist um, and an advocate. It's one of the reasons why I went to law school uh, to work in human rights. And I obviously work a lot in civil rights um, and general human rights, but I've always been really engaged and active in women's rights um, as a woman. Um, in so many ways, uh, you know, when you look globally, the most marginalized have been women and particularly working mothers. And so obviously I did not go to the University of Pennsylvania Law School um, <laughs> to not use that degree in some way. And it certainly wasn't to, to, to get a husband, but nonetheless, I got a husband um, and we decided to have children. And after the birth of my second born, I was working um, in a law firm as a, basically doing pro bono work, uh, the pro bono coordinator at a law firm downtown. And I was basically mommy tracked in lots of ways because there was an assumption of the work that I would do particularly after my second child was born. So um, after six months, um, instead of coming back from my maternity leave, um, after my second born, I made the decision to kind of just wing it um, and do some contracting work and to do different things um, in order to support our family. My mom had been an educator. And so as a public school teacher, she had summers free and spring break and she had been home back then. Teachers were able to be home by four um, and dedicate that type of time to her own family. And um, I didn't, once I had decided to have children, it was important to me to be able to spend the type of dedicated time raising them um, that my mother was able to spend raising us. So difficult to do as a lawyer, but um, I did my best to bring in like in you know different types of of contract work that would allow me to continue to have a small paycheck, also to show my children I thought it was important not just for girls but certainly for boys to see to see working mother that I had value outside of our home and outside of my caretaking of them. Um, but it was really uh, it was really difficult for me, particularly when they were young. And so what really really changed my life is when we had moved here when I was pregnant with my firstborn Jackson. I was obsessed with uh, a Scuola Key, uh, Key Elementary School, which is an immersion school, and the now-retired uh, uh, principal there, Dr. Marjorie Myers. So we moved to Arlington, not just based on the exceptionality of Arlington, but based on APS and that school in particular. Um, so, you know, here we were five years later. I'm sending my son to kindergarten. He's like the cutest little brown boy ever. Um, and I said to my mother, what do I do, right? I've done my best to research uh, an environment that would be accepting of my black family. I've done my best to figure out which school would be best for him. But what more can I do? I send this child out the door. How do I know this is still Virginia? It's still America. There's still all sorts of racism. White supremacy <laughs> still exists. And what do I do to protect my child? And he, she said, it's like uh, nursing homes. The best way to make sure that your loved one who can't fend from themselves is protected is you show your little brown face and make sure that they affiliate his little brown face with your brown face. And if you do that, then you're going to be able to make sure that they're going to think different things about treating him different ways based on not wanting to you you know, you coming in, lighting their entire school on fire. So I thought that was great advice. And it, when he was in kindergarten, there was something called room parent and they were looking for some. And I raised my hand and said, I will be that. And that started uh, my tenure with the PTA. I was a room parent. 
Um, I the next year I was on the nominating committee that spring. Um, unbeknownst to me, being on the nominating committee of any type of PTA automatically means that you will be part of the PTA forever, certainly the next year. So I started my tenure. I was one of the longest serving executive board members in Escuela Key history on the executive board. I started when my younger son, my older son was in first grade and then lasted eight or nine years until my older, my younger son um, promoted in fifth grade. But I was able to do a lot of work in both um, communications um, and talking to all families. At that time, all the other members of the PTA, ex- excluding one, were white. Um, it was mostly white women, which shocks no one that knows anything about PTAs in Arlington. Um, and I worked my way in communicating because it's an a, a immersion school. There were a lot of issues with immigrant children, language learning, English language learning children. And I started advocating throughout the county uh, for our English language learning students um, and just started growing and growing. As my children grew, I didn't just do work within the PTA, but with APS in general and different committees. And that started my work with the county. I was able to create Black Parents of Arlington, um, the current president, with uh, two other black mothers who were concerned about the disparity of treatment um, in different schools in APS. Um, and that grew, you know, a few years ago um, in 2020 to co-founding Arlington for Justice. Um, and so being able to kind of, uh, I look back and recognize that even though I was really frustrated in the fact that my career felt like it was stalled and the type of work I was doing wasn't really garnering me the type of um, really great positivity and, and challenge that I really wanted in a career, I recognized that doing all this work that was pro bono and volunteer was giving me the opportunity to still use my my skill sets towards the good of my community, which was really all that I wanted to do and is really the foundation of why I was offered the job at AIM um, starting November. Um, I started working November 1st, 2021, um, based certainly not on my skills as a media maven uh, or my knowledge of audiovisual or radio or television, but based on my the political strategy work I had done, much of which was pro bono, as well as the relationship building I had had and my dedicated uh, reputation as an activist uh, for human rights and inclusion and belonging. So that's fascinating to me. And so the board of AIM decides to bring on uh, this known activist and um, very skilled, credentialed fighter um, who wants to improve the lives of, of the marginalized in our community. How Absolutely. does that how does that show up for Arlington Independent Media, which is what we think of locally as the provider of, you know, some local radio shows. Like, where, how does that intersect with your passion for your community? Well, I mean, it's a really good question. And when it was first brought to me that the opportunity existed at AIM, I was like, hell's no. Seems boring. (laughs) Um, You know, being an executive director or CEO of a, you know, nonprofit organization was something that maybe I would have considered 14 years ago, but just seemed really outside the scope of something that I wanted to do. But then when I talked to board members and members and people really in the know about AIM, I recognized that uh, the difficulties that the organization was having were really. DEI, 
issues. They were really about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and that it's impossible to be a 39-year-old organization um, and not to have some foundational structures that are based on white supremacy and the patriarchy. And then once I realized that that was really what was holding the organization back, I was all in. Um, It really excited me, actually, at the challenge of being able to use the media to disrupt and dismantle white supremacy and the patriarchy um, and to do what AIM has always wanted to do, but has been less than, than, than hitting the mark at creating an inclusive um, environment that's holistic and welcoming at its core um, and being able to really, because if you're not holistic and welcoming at your core, then you are already intentional or non-intentionally creating barriers for those who are more marginalized. And so making sure that we're doing everything that we can to go down to the deep foundations of the organization and make sure that um, it's built on inclusivity and belonging and positivity and um, just just love, right? And peace and joy and, you know, all of those good things that we try to teach our kindergartners about. And so there's no re- there's no way that you're going to illuminate um, inclusion and welcoming as a beacon if you're not starting from it internally. Then it's not genuine. Then it's not authentic. And you're never going to be able to really uh, hit your mark until you're making sure that it is genuine and authentic. So where where is AIM then in the journey of rebuilding this brand it, to, to your point of like you have to do the work deep internal before you can go out there and do a whole new blitz marketing campaign on, on, on your programming and your hosts and all of that right and your mm-hmm. trainings and these great programs you do for youth so where is where is your organization in that arc of re- rebuilding internally Great question. So the first thing that I need to to do when I came in is just understand the structure and the culture at AIM to begin with. There were a few um, employees that had been there. Jackie Stevens, one, she just retired. She'd been at AIM for 35 years. And she and others were really able to not just keep the organization going in general, but really keep it um, floating during the pandemic. Um, and I really appreciated the hard work and the commitment that Jackie, Laurie McArdle is another one who had been there for 17 and a half years before she resigned. And so just really, um, certainly out of respect for the work, the hard work that those two women had done and given um, to the organization and just figure out what was going on there and making sure that as they transitioned out, that it was as smooth as possible and as respectful as of their time and commitment to the organization. So that was really my first step and my first goal. And um, we'd have to ask Jackie, but uh, I see her on occasion and I think that she's pretty happy um, with the way that she was able to transition out and as she um, thinks about what her role is in, in, in the future. And so that's also true of our members. There are uh, a lot of people, you know, during the pandemic, we lost a lot of membership, but there are a lot of members and producers that have stuck with us. And it's been a really, really trying time for many of our producers, both both in our TV and video side as well. As our radio side, there have been a lot of hiccups, um, but hiccups are natural with change. Um, There were a lot of things that went unchanged for... I mean, I'm, uh, conservatively, uh, conservatively, I could say before the pandemic, but there were a lot of things that were in place from like the early 2000s and even some some things that were, you know, I mean, I was still writing paper checks, 
when I came in, you know. So so there were just some things that really, from an admin point of view, there were a lot of things, and there still are a lot of things um, that we need to make sure are updated. You know, laws have changed in the last 39 years, um, and so making sure that we're compliant about a lot of things that maybe were a little bit lax. So working on those types of transitional things, but then really working on um, my dream team. I have been able to hire a dedicated group of people. Some of them are staff, like in terms of uh, employees, both full and and part-time, and many contractors. Um, But just everyone has a dedicated background in racial and social justice. Uh, Many of them I had met in some capacity uh, along my, you know, route to aim in terms of of the organizations that I've been a part of and and given some work to. And so we are finally, we uh, hired a bunch of people in May. And so now we consider ourselves fully staffed, which is super exciting. Um, And so we are now rolling and figuring out what our new curriculum is going to look like. We're definitely excited about adding uh, digital media to old school media, um, to shaking up the place. It makes a lot of our current members uncomfortable, and I understand why, but when we look at our members and we look at our producers, they run very white, um, over the age of 60, uh, North Arlington, affluent, um, male, non-military, non-disabled. So that is not what our... Uh, not the definition of the marginalized community, right? No, <laughs> not at all. It just the definition of those who are marginalizing. Yeah. So, um, so I do recognize that there had been a dedicated attempt to broaden um, the diversity, but diversity on itself really isn't anything. There, I, I think the problem was the inclusion. And so that's what we've really been working on, the inclusion and the belonging. And so, um, like I said, everyone that I've hired has a dedicated uh, reputation in history in working in inclusion. I am very proud to say that in our staff, including our contractors and our, uh, our employees, we represent every um, protect- federally protected status in unemployment, other than right at this exact moment, I have no pregnant women. Um, but we have we represent uh, various races, gender, religion. Um, we've got four different generations. We've got my youngest is 16. My eldest is 65. So we've got our baby boomers, you know, doing social media with, you know, with my Gen Zer. So we're really um, open and we're looking at more uh, programming for the neurodiverse and the multi-abled. We really want like until our programming and our membership mirrors what our Arlington is, then we're failing at, at our mission, and we need to do a better job in making sure that we're not creating barriers, um, even those that are unintended, for um, for everyone in our community. But you're really you're you're talking the talk, walking the walk. You're changing the culture, the brand internally first, and right. that's so important to do. So then, how do you? You had said AIM is a, one of the best kept secrets in Arlington. So how do you get this message out? How do you change the outward facing brand and let people know what AIM is now about? Well, one of the one of the benefits of having a, a very broad, inclusive um, group of employees is that you know not every 
person who works at AIM might feel comfortable right now walking into Green Valley, uh, you know, and chatting with individuals who are maybe sitting out, chatting on their lawns, you know, but I've right now there's several people, including myself, who have no problem doing that. And in fact, I just did it yesterday. So again, when you have a staff, when you have people who are working for you that include people who uh, have different language capabilities, right? If you have no one who speaks Mongolian, then it's really hard for you to really engage with the Mongolian community. So in making sure that we've got these people who are connected to the various um, diverse communities, and it's not just a, a, a bunch of well-meaning white people with a splattering of, you know, black and browns who are just kind of looking at their own, you know, networks and saying, oh, well, I have three black friends, so I'm going to ask them if they know anybody who might want to do something at AIM. It's really going into the community. And one of the problems with AIM is that there's been a lot of exclusivity and, uh, you know, even unintended. Um, But again, a best kept secret is a secret because there's someone who doesn't want everyone to know. Right. So um, so. So making sure that we are reaching out exactly because people, the people with means are going to find out about cool stuff. That's just the way it always is. And we're really, um, really linking in and garnering on our relationship with the county. The county is our main funder. I've had some pushback from some members that say, well, this is a membership organization. I'm like, this is a nonprofit that is founded by the county or funded by the county. And um, my taxes are paying for it. So to be perfectly honest, even as as its CEO, I had and I talked to the county manager and the county board. And I said, when I started, if I find out that this organization cannot thrive as a place of inclusivity and belonging, then I'm going to ask you to dismantle it and shut it down. And so I think that the amount of money that the county is providing to AIM, we need to really make sure that we're doing what we need to do to use those funds to provide the county. The county has traditionally really had problems with reach outreach um, to marginalized communities where we can be inside people's houses. And we are. We've got cable. We've got radio. And so using those and letting the county know where their money is going and seeing that we are actually doing what they struggle at doing, which is reaching out to these households and to these organizations and individuals that really need it. So if you could predict the future, you know, if you're coming back to talk with us in a year, what cool new things or opportunities do you hope AIM will have stood up in new parts of the community? So by the time, if we're meeting exactly a year from today, we will have had or we will be planning our second uh, coming out party um, to celebrate Pride Month. Um, We will have started our youth uh, journalism incubator, which is something I'm really excited about. The WETA has one, but none of the local community media stations have one. Uh, Working with youth and young adults between the ages of 14 and 24, we're going to be redoing Arlington Independent News that used to be um, produced by very lovely, wonderful old white men. We're going to give it over to these, you know, young folk. Um, We're going to be giving more uh, training and um, stipend to individuals who speak the five main languages outside of English, which are Spanish, Amharic, Mongolian, Bengali, and um, I'm forgetting one. I can't remember it. 
Arabic. I didn't say Arabic. It's a big one. So we're going to be finding those not only because we recognize that there's a value in individuals who have those language skills, but also, particularly when you're talking about their youth, oftentimes it's not just a barrier in the cost of a cool club or or camp, but the fact that these children have to bring money home at a certain age, and so we don't want it. We don't want to um, create a barrier for individuals who come from households where children and young adults need to make money. Um, and so we, we, we believe that those individuals with those language skills absolutely deserve um, stipends in order to, to participate. And hopefully that will also better um, for better outcomes for their families as a whole. So those are just a few things. I mean, there's all sorts of things, but we really we want a party. You know, it's about creation and collaboration and, you know, and we're all better when we're thinking about different perspectives and, and, and really exposed to different perspectives and different ways of doing things. And that creates real diversity and, and, and only like makes, takes everyone a little bit further in the community and really shines a light on Arlington and the type of Arlington that a lot of progressives talk about being, but that we're really, when you like scrub down, that we're just not yet. Whitney, I love this conversation. I think what you've done with your personal brand and what you are doing with AIM is amazing. We can't wait to hear more about it. If people want to follow you and and learn more about AIM, where can they find you? So you can find me, um, arlingtonmedia.org is our website. Please do not go on right now. Um, Or actually, you know what? Go on right now and you can see some of the changes that we've been making. Bookmark it. Uh, Exactly, bookmark it. I can be reached specifically at Whitney, W-H-Y-T-N-I, at arlingtonmedia.org, um, my LinkedIn page. Um, those are probably the best ways, but I'm, you know, I'm always willing to have a coffee or a cocktail. Um, Jennifer knows that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, any, any, like I'm down with any type of conversation that's going to move our organization forward. I really want in all of the organizations that I have, Black Parents of Arlington, Arlington for Justice, and now AIM, you know, my goal is to create the Arlington that we always said that we were, that we're realizing that we're not, that we want to be, and then illuminate that out. You know, just like Brooklyn, Brooklyn has fantastic uh, community media and, and brick. It's amazing. I'm looking to like why recreate the wheel. There's a lot of things that they're doing. Philly Cam. I'm a Philly girl. I love their community media. They're doing that. But I'd like Arlington to be thought of like the other white meat, right? Like like the Brooklyn of the D.C. area. And we have it right in terms of our alt, our art and culture, right? Um, and our proximity. Can that be a tagline for Can AIM? It, please, Arlington, the the other white meat. The other white meat. <laughs> Right? I don't know. <laughs> There's something. No, we'll, 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 we'll massage it, but it's there. We need to workshop that. Yeah, we'll workshop it. At least a it, t-shirt, right? Something. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but I, I think it's manageable because there's a lot of well-intended people, um, but just, you know, change, cultural change is, is slow, um, but meaningful. And there's a lot of meaningful, um, meaningful, meaningful things and events in the horizon. And I'm really excited to be a part of it. Well, we're excited, too. And your energy is contagious. So Uh, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. We're going to have to have you back because I feel like there's 20 things that we need to devote a whole whole show to. So thank you for being here, I will hold you to it. Thank you, ladies. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this episode of The M Word. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. And we'd really love it if you would leave us a review. Until next time, don't be afraid to be uncensored. The M Word is an Arlington Strategy production hosted by Jennifer Mulchandani and Heather Michaelgard. 
Our theme music is Golden Reflections of the Sun by Vlad Glushenko. Graphic design by Kayla Fagan. Sound engineering and editing by Ben Mulchandani and Nina Sofia Pacheco. Editing by Nina Sofia Pacheco and Janelle Walters.